The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. When Rebecca and I moved into our home about 10 years ago here in South Florida, we, uh, there was a, a back patio, and the, the previous owner had paved that back patio with brick. And I didn't fully appreciate the brick, you know, I, I don't know, just looked pretty or whatever. And um, I had a, a friend that pointed out later, hey, I think that's actually reclaimed brick. That's brick that was, you know, used in a building somewhere, and it's actually reclaimed brick. And so I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. It's not just, uh, just freshly made. It's actually maybe old. Maybe it used to be in a building somewhere. And um, I found out that it looked a lot like something called Old Chicago Brick, which is brick looks kind of like this. And um, Old Chicago Brick is um, actually brick from buildings in Chicago. There's a type of brick made in that region um, in the late 19th century into the 20th century. And as they are deconstructing those buildings, they make those bricks available to be reused and reclaimed. And so some people use them. And so I was like, okay, well, how would I know if this porch is that particular kind of brick? And I come to find out that that um, brick that's called Old Chicago Brick, you'll see on the brick um, actual markings. And I was told there's you'll see like a union marking of a stamp into that brick. It could be like a triangle or like a diamond shape. Sometimes you'll actually see the letters actually from the mill where it was made stamped into that brick. And so I was thinking, oh, well, I mean, I've lived here for years I've never actually taken the, the moment to look. And so for the first time, even though we've, we lived in that house for so many years, I actually walked out and like really looked at the porch. And I'm looking down at these bricks, and I'm like, I look and I see one. I'm like, sure enough, right there, there's like a little marking. It, this, it's, it's like a little triangle. And I look over here, and I'm like, wait, those, I never even noticed that before, but um, that's, just not, that's not just wear and tear on an old brick. That's actual letters. And I kind of like looked down closely, and I saw actually letters, and it was the remnant of a stamp. And I looked, and, it's, and I was surprised. Kind of all over are these markings, and it's this basically the signature of the person who originally made the brick way back when in Chicago and realized, okay, this is actually reclaimed brick that was one time in a building on another part of our country and then wound up down here in South Florida. Now, I don't know if you've ever had that dynamic happen to you in your life where there's a detail that you just walk by every day and never stop to really notice it. You ever had something like that happen? And then once you notice it, you can't help but always notice it. Like you can't unnotice it. You know what I'm talking about? And then whenever you walk by that detail or you see that detail again, then like it's your immediate seems so obvious. You're like, how come I never saw this for so long? How, how come I always miss that? That's not just a dynamic that happens in our everyday life as we're just doing life. That's actually a dynamic that happens in our spiritual lives as well. There's a path that we're on. And it's actually a path laid out by our maker, our creator. He's laying down that path. And sometimes we walk right by these moments where in the details, we could see his signature showing us that this path is being intentionally laid out for you. 
But we so often miss, we, don't, we miss those details because we don't stop and look for it. And we don't stop and look for the signature of the master craftsman. We're missing out on, a, on so much encouragement, vibrance, life that we could be getting in, what's, in what are sometimes difficult paths and difficult seasons. This plays itself out in the story of Ruth. We've been studying the story in the Old Testament called Ruth. Last week we looked at the, ver- the entire first chapter of Ruth and got the backstory. We're going to dig in a little deeper and just hit a couple verses in Ruth chapter 2 of uh, this week. And so we're going to look at Ruth chapter 2 starting in verse 1 and we're going to see in this story, we're going to see how the path of these two women, Ruth and Naomi, are laid out by God. Check this out. Ruth chapter 2, starting in verse 1. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn there. It's also going to be up here on the screens. Ruth chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, I want to just pause here on uh, verse 1 just for a second. Let's figure out, okay, who's this person, Naomi? What's the story? We learned all through the first chapter about this woman, Naomi, and her husband, Elimelech. What we learned last week is that Naomi and and Elimelech, her husband, left Israel and moved to the neighboring country of Moab. Now, on the surface, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with that, but under the surface, they're actually running from God. They're actually rejecting God and running from God. And the consequences, as this plays out, the consequences of that is that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies while they're in Moab. And to make things even worse, while they're in Moab, she has two sons, and both of her sons, Naomi's sons, die as well, leaving Naomi alone with her two daughters-in-law. Now, before they had died, both of her sons had married women from Moab, Moabite women um, named Ruth and Orpah. And Naomi is now in the worst-case scenario for that time in history. This is an agrarian society, so for a, a widow... She is in a very dire straits. She's, she's, it's going to be difficult for her to provide for herself in this ancient society. So she's not only dealing with the grief of losing her husband and her two sons, but now she's got to figure out a way to survive. She decides to go back to Israel, back to her home in the tribe of Judah, the city of Bethlehem. She decides to go back there. And Ruth, one of her daughters-in-law, pleads with her to take her with her. And so Naomi leaves Moab, takes this Moabite girl, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, with her. Naomi and Ruth get back to Bethlehem. Now, here's what we learn when she gets back. The women of, of Bethlehem are like, hey, Naomi, I have, we haven't seen you, and it's got to be almost 10 years or more. It's great to see you. I, what's happened? And she says, no longer call me Naomi. She says, which means pleasant. From now on, call me bitter. And we learn in chapter 1 emphatically that Naomi is mad at God. 
In five different ways, in just chapter 1, Naomi describes how it's God that's hurt her, it's God that's afflicted her, it's God that's against her, and she describes it in all these different ways. She is mad at God, but she's moving home out of no other options. Now, it ends chapter 1 with this moment of hope because they're arriving in Bethlehem right at the time of the harvest. Now, we get to chapter 2, and the very first verse says this. It starts out, what we just read, it starts out by saying, okay, now before we go any further, you got to know there's this guy that's related to Naomi's husband, Elimelech, who's now passed away, but there's a, a relative of that guy, and his name is Boaz. That is an incredibly awesome name, Boaz. We should say that name together, I think. Ready? Boaz. You have to have some bass when you say it, okay? Boaz. The name actually means strength, okay? When I think of a guy named Boaz, I think of one of those guys who are so monstrously built, their necks make their head look really tiny. You know what I'm talking about? People who can, like, tear phone books apart with their bare hands, okay? Now, probably Boaz didn't look like that, but his name does mean strength, and it says Boaz was a worthy man. And by the word worthy in the ancient Hebrew literally means mighty. He was a mighty man. Now, we're going to learn in this story that Boaz is a man of great wisdom. He is a a person of means. He's going to own some fields. And we're going to learn that he has great character. This one verse is saying, okay, there's this really great, impressive guy named Boaz. He's a relative of Naomi's deceased husband. And it's basically saying, okay, before we go any further in this story, you just need to know about Boaz. Tuck that under your hat. Just know that there's a guy named Boaz related to Naomi's husband. And and just kind of hold on to that thought for a second. And then it's going to continue with the story. Let's pick it up in verse 2. Here's what it says. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So now this is important to kind of get their context Ruth and Naomi have returned to Bethlehem, and remember, they they have nothing. They're probably going to be basically beggars, and Ruth is asking Naomi, can she go glean in the fields? Now, this is a practice that is based on how their society was structured. There's an Old Testament law, if you were to read through Leviticus and some of those old uh, laws in the very beginning of Um, the Old Testament, there's an Old Testament law that required how farmers operated with their fields. Now, this is an agrarian society, so there's lots of farmers. Many people have fields of various sizes. But what they were commanded to do is as they're harvesting their fields, they were not to harvest all the way to the very, very edges and all the way into each corner. They're supposed to leave the very edges and corners untouched so that the poor could go through the fields and have something to glean for themselves. 
It was a way that they were structured to provide for the poor. Furthermore, the reapers that were going through the field, as they've got these, hand, these armloads of sheaves of grain or stalks of some kind of grain that they're harvesting, if they dropped some, they were commanded not to pick it up, but to intentionally leave it behind. I mean, picture this. If you've got so much that you can't carry it, don't be concerned about the one or two pieces you dropped on the ground. Leave it behind so that the poor can come through the fields and have something to glean. Now, this is a really beautiful system because it's those who have plenty are supposed to leave some for those who don't have anything, but those who don't have anything are, have to go and get their hands dirty and also do some gleaning and work to get it. And the way the system was set up was a beautiful system in their society. Imagine like a modern-day equivalent might be, let's say that you're a business owner and you intentionally budget part of your business for those who can't afford your services but need it. And you set it aside specifically to take care of the poor. That's similar to what these landowners are, are asked to do in the law. Now, I want you to see what Ruth said to Naomi. She said, I'm going to go glean because we're impoverished. That's our only way to provide for ourselves. She says, I'm going to go glean, but I'm going to go to a field to find someone and go into the person's field in whom I've found favor. Did you notice she said that? So here's the thing. If ever you're reading through that part of the law in, in the Bible, just on your own time, you're reading through that and you hear about all these laws. Don't mistake, just because God commanded them and expected them to do it doesn't mean that everyone living in Israel did it, unfortunately. In fact, what we're going to learn through this story is that Ruth not only has to find a field that they've actually set it up for people to come in and glean, but she's got to find a field that's actually safe for her to glean. Imagine the scenario. I mean, just doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to picture a young woman by herself, way out in the field, no one around, no protection, just gleaning from the far edge of the field. Not necessarily the safest place for her to be. So put yourself in Ruth's position. You're from Moab, an enemy of Israel. You don't know anybody. You just know that you and your mother-in-law need to survive. And so she says, I'm going to go out and find a field. Maybe I'll find someone who just is going to be nice to me. I'll find favor in their eyes, and I'll be able to glean there and glean safely. Now watch how verse 3 looks. We're going to read verse 3. And then we're going to pause there for the day because there's something interesting in here I want you to see. Ruth chapter 2, verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to, who does it say? All right, I mean, I have some more base in there. Okay, let's try it again. Whose field? Boaz. There we go. She comes to the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Okay, you got to see how the narrator sets this up. This is great. Okay, you got to see how this works. She says, okay, so she goes out. She's walking through the fields. I mean, imagine how insecure she feels. 
I don't, am I gleaning right? I mean, I don't know, like, Israelite law on how to glean. Like, is this what you do? Like, am I stealing? Like, am I going to accidentally steal from someone and get in trouble? Am I going to go into an unsafe place and, and get um, assaulted somehow? Like, I, I, she's just trying to follow maybe the crowd of other people gleaning, and she's walking around, and, and she's kind of just going through these, kind of looking around, making sure she's doing the right thing. And then with one step, she just so happened to step into the field of Boaz. And I love that the narrator says, Boaz, you know, not any old Boaz, the Boaz I was just telling you about, the Boaz from the clan of Elimelech. Do you notice that? He just told us it was from the clan of Elimelech. He says, Boaz from the clan of Elimelech. Now, you've got to see something else that's happening here on how the narrator tells the story. When the narrator says, she happened to go into the field. It's actually in the ancient Hebrew even more emphatic than that. It actually says, and she, it just so happened. She happened to happen into the field. It says the word twice. She happened to happen into the field of Boaz. In other words, it's like this. And of all things... Of all the fields that she could be so fortunate to just stumble upon, wouldn't you know it, and as luck would have it, and what a coincidence, she just so happens to step foot in Boaz's field. You remember Boaz, right? Boaz, the relative of Naomi's husband of the clan of Elimelech. You remember that Boaz? Yeah, that Boaz. She's just lucky enough to wander accidentally into Boaz's field. Do you see what the Hebrew narrator is doing there? That's Hebrew sarcasm. Okay, he's, he's, saying, he's saying she just happened to happen into that field, right? Now, why is he putting it like this? Like, why does he make such a point in Ruth chapter 2, verse 3, to kind of accentuate, well, it was just luck, right? She's just wandering around with her feet and just kind of one foot just put her in this field. And by the way, as you'll see in these next couple chapters, that step into Boaz's field so radically will change Ruth and Naomi's life unlike they could ever have even dreamed. Do you think she just happened to happen into that field? No, it had to be something else behind that leading her into that field. Why is the, the narrator being so coy? Because remember chapter 1, Naomi in five different ways is emphatic emphatically saying, God is the one who is afflicting me, hurting me, against me, pushing me, torturing me. She's emphatically five times talking about how God has hurt her. And in contrast, in chapter 2, the narrator wants you to see, well, Ruth just accidentally had this life-changing moment, right? I mean, because God's just a God that hurts people, surely. He's, he's not a God that comes back around and has a plan that he's working together. Surely he's not that kind of God. He's drawing you to think. Do little details like that just happen to happen? Of course not. God is always behind the details that just happen to happen. 
God is always behind those moments that just one day happen to happen. Those coincidences, well, that, that one just happened to happen. God's always behind those. Those moments that happen to happen, those, those, those points in our life that just happen to happen, that's the signature of the master craftsman at work. But if you're Naomi, you're in this, you've been through an excruciating season. She's lost her husband, she's lost her sons, she's lost everything, she's destitute. And she is just in that season. God, you've so dramatically allowed these things to happen. And she's completely dismissed that she was running from God and reaping the consequences. She's saying, God, you have allowed these happen. And she's so dramatically mad at God that she's missing the details that are happening to happen in her life. And if you're in a season like Naomi, it's so easy for those things to happen. Because, man, one of the hardest things things to go through is to wait for God to show up. Man, it is hard. You're waiting for God. He's been saying no, 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 no. And you're saying, God, when are you going to say yes? And you're just waiting. How many times do I have to ask you before you'll say yes instead of no? And you're, and you're just waiting day after day, month after month, year after year, maybe longer. You're just waiting and waiting. And man, when we go through seasons like that, it is so difficult. It's excruciating. God, it just feels like a season where everything's against me. When are you going to dramatically show up and show how things are for me? And waiting for those moments, man, that can just be just interminable sometimes. God, I, I need you to provide in my life. I, I've, things have not been going well. I'm stretched thin. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I just need your provision. When are you going to, aren't you a provider? When are you going to show up and provide? And waiting for that provision to come through. Waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Man, we can just get exhausted from waiting, and sometimes we're at the just brink of giving up. Sometimes we're like, God, I'm just asking you to, to do a good thing. I'm not asking you to do a selfish, I'm not selfish, but this is a good thing. How can you also not want this? How can this, it's a good thing, take so long to happen? And if you're like Naomi, you're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and sometimes we can get just so discouraged. We're like, God, I, I feel like giving up. So what are we supposed to do in those waiting seasons if you're in a season like Naomi? How, how are we supposed to react? Is that just something you just have to grit your teeth and bear through it? Is that just something that we just have to hold on and suffer through it? Well, let me read you a verse in Isaiah. It, it says this, Isaiah 40, 31. Here's what it says. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Here's what the Bible says. It actually says when you're in that season of waiting, you don't just have to suffer through it. You don't just have to grit your teeth and just try and survive. In fact, there's something that can happen in the waiting where your strength soars. 
where there's wind in your sails, where, you're, where it's not like you're sidelined. No, you're running and you're, you keep walking one foot in front of the other. No, they're in, in the seasons of waiting, you can actually find rejuvenation and you can find not just discouragement, but passion and life and vibrance in those seasons of waiting. You say, how in the world in those drudgery seasons of waiting can I find that kind of vibrance? It says, because you're waiting on the Lord. It's when you realize who you're waiting on. What do you mean who you're waiting on? If you're waiting on the Lord, then let me remind you who you're waiting on. You're waiting on one who has unmatched precision. This is the God whose timing is always absolutely flawlessly perfect. He's not just the God of of the big picture, he's the God of the tiniest details. He's not just over the macro, he's over the micro. He's not just the one that breathes galaxies out, he's the God of the electron. He's the God that precisely knows just how far the earth needs to be from the sun at just the right angle, rotating at just the right speed so that we neither freeze nor get incinerated. He's the God of precision, and because he's the God of unmatched precision, look for him in the details. When you're walking down the path that he's laid out, you realize your feet are walking on a path he's laid down in front of you. And as you're walking on that path, And you're saying, when is this path going to end? I can't take this path anymore. It's too difficult. It's too hard. I'm exhausted. Look down at the path and look for the details. Look for the sign of the signature of the master craftsman who is laying that path in front of you. Look for those details and find strength in those details. Because those little moments that just happen to happen... That's his signature that he's still working. And those tiny details where you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, you don't see what's around the bend, you don't see when the path is going to end, but you can just stop and look for it. Just stop and look for it. Look down at the bricks and look for his handiwork. Look for his mark. Look for those moments that happen to happen along the way and let it encourage you that he's working. Let me take it from another perspective. What do you know about God? His unmatched precision means that you can look for him in the details, but there's another side. His unfathomable creativity is at work too, and that's important for you to know. This is the God that from every perspective around the globe, every morning and every night paints a sunset that's completely different. Billions of sunsets every day. That's the kind of artist that he is. He's got unfathomable creativity. So here's what that means. As you're looking for the moments that happen to happen, also remember you'll never be able to predict the ending. He's always writing a story that's going to floor you. He's always writing in a way that you couldn't predict. And so here's how this plays out. As you're walking along the path and you see, oh, that just happened to happen. Were you in that God in this moment that happened to happen? Of course he was. Of course. 
He's in every precise detail. Let that encourage you. Okay, you're still at work. You're still laying the path down. But that doesn't mean you know the end of the story yet. That just means you need to keep going. So let's put it like this. Let's say the long journey, you're waiting on the Lord. Let's say maybe you're here, you're, you're watching online, you're sitting here today, you're, you're hearing this and you say, look, I'm single and I've been single for a long time. I'm waiting on the Lord. Would you provide that spouse? I, I want to find a godly spouse. I want to be married. I want to share my life with someone and I'm waiting. God, I've, I'm trying to do this your way. I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm waiting on you. And then all of a sudden, your friend, through this weird set of coincidences, introduces you to someone. And you're like, whoa, maybe this is a God thing. Is it a God thing? Of course. He's in everything. Does that mean you should elope tomorrow? Probably not. Okay? Why? Guard your heart. Yes, that's a God thing. He's just showing you. I'm just, time out. I'm just showing you my signature on this brick. You still have to guard your heart. You still have to take it slow. You still have to seek counsel from your friends around you and and godly uh, influences around you. You still have to take it slow because you don't know the end of the story. Sometimes we get ourselves in trouble when we see the details and we're like, oh, this is God and that's right. And then we interpret it. So this is probably what he's doing and we get ahead of God. Don't go that far. His unmatched precision means, of course, it's God. His unfathomable creativity means, but you still have no idea what he's doing. When you see his signature in the path ahead, just let that encourage you. He's at work. He's reclaiming things. He's in, uh, to use another metaphor, he's in his wood shop crafting a masterpiece of your life. You don't know the end product, but you just saw something that happened to happen. That's like you're hearing the chop saw in the wood shop. It's just a reminder that he's at work, even though you don't know what the end product's going to look like. You're waiting to find a job. You're in a career that you're like, I hate this career. I can't stand being in this anymore. I need this new job. I've been looking. I can't find one. Or, or maybe you say, like, I, I'm out of work, and I'm trying to look for that job. I can't find that. And so you're waiting and waiting and praying and praying, God, I'm trying to be patient. And then through this, this series of coincidences, it, as it seems, it just happened to happen that you land an interview. You're like, God, is this you? Of course it's him. He's in every happen-to-happen situation. Does that mean this is your new career? Maybe. You don't know. Guard your heart. Don't get ahead of God. Walk into the interview. Go with wisdom, with your asking the right questions, uh, asking advice, input, because you don't know, maybe this is the job you've been waiting for, or maybe you were supposed to practice your interview skills for the actual job that he has waiting for you. Or maybe this is going to connect you with this person, it's going to connect you with this person, and you're so grateful it's actually this job and not the first one that you actually first got excited about. Find encouragement that he is in the details, but don't get ahead of him. You still have no idea what he's doing. How about that loved one that's so far from God and you're praying for him? And in every time you're like, oh, what was that conversation? Did they drop that hint? Is that what's happening? Of course God's in that. But be patient. Wait on the Lord. He's in every moment that just happens to happen, but you still don't know what the finished product is. It's just the sound of the, of the buzzsaw. That's just sound of the nail gun in a shop. 
That's just the belt sander going, and it should stir up hope. That's right. The master craftsman's at work. I can keep going and take one more step. Are you weary as you're waiting? Here's how you push in. You push in. Here's how you push forward and you renew your strength. You remember who you're waiting on. A few moments ago, I, I read Isaiah 40, 31. But to encourage you, I want to read to you in another translation. I want to read to you what the passage says leading up to Isaiah 40, 31, because it takes all the chapter beforehand reminding us of who it is that we're waiting on. He's the Almighty, the one who's controlling everything. Of course we can wait for him. Here's what it says, Isaiah 40, verse 25. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, asks the Holy One. Look up into the heavens, who created all the stars, who brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those that wait upon the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Christian, are you weary of waiting today? Are you weary of waiting? Then remember who it is that you are waiting on. You are waiting on the master craftsman. The same God who put all the stars in the sky and keeps them in their exact place is the same one in His power. He is leveraging that power for your story. Do you realize that, Christian? He is the, he is the one that's perfectly, precisely laying down that path before you. You can take one step ahead. If you're growing weary, just look for the marks at your feet of his signature. It's a reminder, I'm not finished, but I'm still working. And put one more step in front of you. You say, I know he's a God of all that power, but how do I really know that he's leveraging that power for my life? Because it's not just about his power. Do you know about his unmatched and unfathomable love? There is nothing, nothing greater for us to possibly try and grasp than the height and depth and breadth and length of his love. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for you. If he were to pour it out, it would fill up the universe. That is, he's leveraging his power and his love. You say, you don't understand. I, I am so far from God. I've so messed up. There's no way he could love me. No, you don't understand. The greatest single act of his love is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he came to earth to reconcile you to God. Dying on a cross, 
rising again from the dead. His blood that he shed being crucified on that cross is evidence of God's love. He took all of your sin and all of your past that separates you from God, all of sin, past, present, and future in your life, and he paid for it. There's nothing holding God's love back from you. Everything that was in between you and God has been removed, paid for by Jesus. That's how much he loves you. He's saying, don't you understand? Yes, I'm asking you to wait. I'm in the wood shop. I'm busy leveraging my power because of my love, creating something incredible. Just take one more step. Just take one more step in front of you and watch for my signature and the details along the way. Some of you are here today and you're saying, look, I hear you, but you, you don't understand. I, I don't know that I have that relationship with God. I'm not sure where I'm at with Jesus. You know, you can make that a certainty today. Today, you can put your faith in Jesus for the first time. Just accept what he did on your behalf. Believe that you have forgiveness by Jesus' death and resurrection. That was to pay for your sins permanently. Find forgiveness today. Find salvation. And begin that relationship with your creator. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? I want to give you an opportunity today. Maybe you're here or you're watching us online. I just want to give you an opportunity to put your faith in Jesus for the first time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead a prayer and just silently there in your seat, God hears this prayer in your heart. Just repeat these words between you and God. If you want to put your faith in Jesus and find salvation and forgiveness today, make this prayer your own. In your heart, say this to God. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross. Thank you that he rose again from the dead. I put my faith in you. I give you my life and I'll walk on your path. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.